0: fresh feet <laughs> hey. Hey, good
1: morning. Sorry. I um wasn't seeing it here. I can't, I can't hear you. Okay, hold up. Let me see. Can you hear me now? No, can't hear me. Test
0: test 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 test. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, matter of fact, let me see. Say can something Yeah, I can hear you now. I can hear you. <laughs> OK. What's going on, man?
1: Nothing much. How are you doing today?
0: All right. Sorry about that technical difficulties.
1: <laughs> no, it's all good. No problem, man. All right. So how's that thing out there in um, New York? Everything's going well um you know there is uh it's dangerous times here, you know Buffalo isn't the same as New York City, so New York City's got a lot more cases, but here in uh the county we're in is Erie County, we've got a substantial amount as well uh they're obviously on a decline and we're opening the, they're slowly phasing the open uh the reopening but it's um it's scary you know it's hitting a lot of people's family members and close to home so you know, but we're doing well. I'm, I've been blessed that, you know, my family's all right.
0: Okay, okay. Um, so I'm guessing nobody's really going out for real. Oh no, they are for sure.
1: Oh, they are out? Absolutely. Black people, uh, they, they are largely ignoring the shelter in place and they are back into the world, um, in Buffalo. Um, and and Buffalo is the type of place; that's really really cold. So our winter didn't really end until the end of April. Like it snowed the second week in May here. So now that the weather is like gorgeous seventies and stuff and eighties, people are like, we are not staying in the house. So they are out. So we, but everybody's got the masks on, so they're trying to be safe. But largely, you know, a lot of people are out. Hmm.
0: Okay, that's interesting. All right, <laughs> uh, so um
1: where are you originally from by the way i'm from here i'm from buffalo new york oh okay cool. yeah I went, down, I went down south for college
0: mm. and alabama state right yep alabama state all right <laughs> uh, um by the way you was the, um sga president right? Mm-hmm. I believe that's right okay how was that
1: <laughs> uh it was a great experience you know when i was a sophomore in college I, I was paying for college out-of-pocket I was taking out student loans um, you know I, I, I didn't do great in high school so in college I had suffered for it right I had to pay out of pocket and um, I found out that the, I was writing for the school newspaper and I found out that the editor of the student newspaper at Alabama State gets free tuition and free room and board then I was like what that's crazy so then I learned that also The campus queen gets it and the student body president, vice president, secretary and treasurer all get free tuition and free room and board. So I said, oh, well, that's it. I'm running for student body vice president. (laughs) So sophomore year, I ran for vice president and won. So I was vice president first. Then the next year, I ran for president and I won president. So I got two years of free tuition and free room and board, um, which I really needed because I was from out of state. So I was paying out of state tuition, which is almost double. Um, and in the process, I got to really kind of find my leadership skills and use my talents to really help students and help the community.
0: Hmm. That's what's up. Um, didn't you go to the military at one time too?
1: Yeah. So when I was, um, I was a senior, I was on my last, I'm in mean, my last year and I'm like, man, I'm the student body president. I'm, you know, I, I, everything is going great. I'm in the fraternity, you know, all of that. And I started to apply for jobs. And I realized that like companies want you to have the degree, but they also want you to have three to five years experience. Um, my major was public relations, so I was trying to get a job in communications, and it was very hard. And I was like, "Oh shoot!" I went through like a couple. Yo, everything is going great on campus, but in real life, like I don't got no job. <laughs> like, and so I was like struggling with that a little. So then I talked to a couple of recruiters, uh, and they was they they was talking that good talk, and I'm like, "I don't know, I don't know." So then I ended up going to Israel. Um, right after Christmas um, for about 10 days that year. So I went to Israel for about 10 days. And in Israel, I learned while I was there that the soldiers, um, the high school students, when they graduate high school, the girls have to do two years in the military, and the boys have to do three years, every single high school graduate, right? And so I, would, I thought they'd have been pissed or they'd have been frustrated and they would have been revolting around that, that concept, but they weren't. They had this like sense of patriotism and honor and protecting their families and stuff. So it really touched me. So when I came back and I talked to those recruiters again, it was like, okay, you know what, I think I could do this. And so I enlisted in the Alabama Army National Guard uh, and my thought process was that they, if, if all else fails, they'd at least pay for my master's degree, which they ended up doing. Um, so, you know, it worked out. So when you
0: went to Israel, you wasn't actually in the military yet. No. Okay. So what made you go to Israel? Like, what was the? Yeah, Yeah, one day I was walking across
1: campus, you know, just normal day, and they uh, had this like Israel club meeting, or at this (laughs) at this black college, and it just really stood out to me. Like, why is there an Israel club meeting here at this black college? Like, like what's happening? And it's like two or three people in there. So I go to the meeting, and it was all right. It was interesting. You know what I mean? And they said at some point in the meeting, they said, so would any of you all like to come to Washington, D.C. for our annual policy conference? And I said, yes, I would. Yes, I would like to come to Washington, D.C. So they paid for us to go to Washington, D.C. And when I got there, I learned obviously more about the issue. And then on the second day, we were walking into the convention center. And Senator Barack Obama was standing at the door greeting us, shaking our hands as we walked in, uh, inviting us to come to his reception that evening. So then we walk some more. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, now, then he's just Senator Obama. He's not Barack Obama. He's just like Senator Obama, which is still a big deal to us. But it's not like it, is, it will be now. Right. But then it's, so it's like, oh, man, that was cool. So then we get a little further. And then Senator Clinton was shaking our hands and giving hugs and inviting us to her reception that evening. Now, that was a big deal because, you know, Hillary Clinton was like Hillary Clinton, right? So, yeah. you know, it was just incredible. Then we got, a, a, then we go into the main room and there's a big address on the U.S. and Israel relationship given by Condoleezza Rice. And I'm just like, this whole thing is blowing me away. Like, how have I not been knowing about this massive national, international issue and all these people who I look up to or, you know, have respect for, they're like fully engaged in it. So come back to campus and then I got more involved with them, learn more, went to a couple more conferences and then started teaching other students about it. Um, and then eventually after all of that, I'm like, yo, I wanna go see it for myself. I need to go see what's really going on. And so then I organized the trip and I got the school to actually pay for it to send eight of us to Israel
0: out to do some volunteer work. That is awesome. Wow, okay, um, that's cool, hmm. Would you say, um, was it a big difference when you went to Israel? Like, is it a big difference between Israel and the United States, or did it sing?
1: Um, I would say not as big as you would think. Um, so Tel Aviv, which is like their New York City, is very much like an uh, American city. I mean, they got McDonald's. It's like New York City on the beach. They got McDonald's, nightclubs, people drinking, partying. You know conferences hotels like it just imagine if new york city was on a beach that's what tel aviv looks and feels like okay uh so that was like dope i mean every i mean it was just normal just different people you know all religions races sexual orientations everybody just living their life normally but over in jerusalem the city looks like jerusalem looks like the jerusalem in the movies and in the in the bible and in your mind it's kind of old brown uh, kind of color city brick, like, well, not brick, but like stone, like that That Jerusalem look is very much still there. And it's very religious. So there's a lot of religious activities going on at the Western Wall, all these different races come there to pray and stuff. So it had a very sombering feeling, you know, in Jerusalem. And um, then we got to go to the city of David. And again, that was more Americanized, but it was like, a, it was like when I was there, the Bible became like a, a road map as opposed to like a collection of stories so the tour guy's like oh yeah right there that's the valley of the shadow of death and then over here is this and, and we just like you know like blown away so it was just a really uh, powerful experience
0: hmm. okay that sounds awesome i haven't been yet so i'm gonna have to uh do that one day so yeah, absolutely I'll, let me ask you this then um i think i have i overheard or read somewhere didn't you run for politics or run for office somewhere
1: Yeah. I ran uh, twice here in uh, Erie County uh, for county legislator. And um, the political machine uh, put up a lot of money to make sure that their candidate, you know, was victorious. Uh, But it was okay. You know, I learned a lot in the process. Uh, I inspired a lot more people to run for office and taught people how to do it so they could, you know, run independent from the political machine. Uh, And I pushed, you know, issues in our community that needed to be addressed. And so uh, it was a it was a big experience, but it was like I took everything I learned in college and everything I learned in social justice work and I was able to apply that and then, you know, really push the needle forward. So although I didn't win, I still took a lot from the experience and uh, I think the community benefited from it as well.
0: Okay. Um, that sounds awesome. Do you plan to run again, Linda? No. Do you have interest? No. Oh. You know, I,
1: um, you know what, one thing I learned about uh local politics specifically and uh, probably true for all politics you got to make a lot of compromises of your values and i'm not willing to make the compromises that a lot of other people are willing to make like i had one city council member here prior to political establishment tell me he said you know duncan if you drop out the race i'll hire you as my chief of staff and then in three years when i'm after my term is over we will make sure that you take over from me as the next city council member. And I'm like, um, no, no, thank you. But I'm good. Uh, because you know, just, but it was like, just the, the the mindset that people have that it's like, you know, city council chief of staff here gets paid like $60,000 that I'm going to give up my dream for a $60,000 job. Right. In, in hopes that one day in four years then it'll be my turn and then you'll the political machine will coalesce around me like that's not what democracy is supposed to be about It's supposed to be about ideas it's supposed to be about justice and freedom and you know pushing to make sure we have an equitable society for everyone and if you're not down with that I can't rock with you you know so I'm not willing to make those compromises and that's okay uh, some people are like the person who won they were like, yep, they told those white folks, they said, whatever y'all need me to say and do, I'm down for it, put me in there, right? But I can't blame them, you know, she's a single mom, she was struggling, you know, didn't have no real job, you know what I'm saying, like, good person, but she was struggling, so if they say, hey, we're gonna give you this job, $50,000, you're gonna be important, you're gonna make decisions, you're gonna be on the news, like, I can understand why she would say yes to that, you know what I mean, so I'm not knocking her at all, but just that system is not really, is something I think I'm gonna be involved with, but I think there are other ways to make an impact. Politics for me was never about the title. It was much more about, you know, I've done advocacy work and I'm trying to push laws to be changed and push policies. But at a certain point, an elected official has to vote and make a decision on if they're going to do what's in the best interest of the community or if they're going to do what's in the best interest of themselves. And after a while, you just kind of feel like, you know what, I should be the one making a decision because you clearly are gonna continue to make decisions for yourself so that's what prompted me to run because elected officials have a higher level of impact they can have on people's lives with the votes that they take um but it's okay not doing not being in that role i can still have an impact on making a change and inspiring people and really helping to push issues that bring equity to our community
0: okay okay um this past um primary season right um well I, is it? Well, it's basically over, right? Um, yeah, it's
1: pretty much over.
0: Who was your like candidate, or are you a Biden fan? Like, if you don't mind me asking that.
1: Well, you can ask me anything, bro. Um, my candidate. I, I liked Cory Booker. I've liked him since he was the mayor, um, in New Jersey in Newark. I've liked his the way he's done things. But he, something about him as a presidential candidate just didn't click with me, as obviously with other, you know, some other folks, too. It felt like he was trying to, to walk this line of being like, I'm the black candidate, like I'm the black candidate, but I'm talking in a language that's not the black language of justice and racial justice. Um, and then when he did, it just didn't feel authentic. So I don't know. But I like Cory Booker. Of all the candidates, I liked him. I thought Bernie was too old, um, and 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 not necessarily just age-wise, just he wears his age heavier, you know, than some of the other candidates. Um, but I like Bernie's message. I like his the energy that he has around like this populist kind of people-centered message. Like I think that like I love that. You know what I mean? I just don't know if him as a candidate was the right person. And there wasn't any other candidates I really fell in love with, just to be honest. Um, I'm gonna vote for Biden happily, you know what I mean? Because you know, I will vote for I will vote for damn near any person who will run outside of Trump. Like I will even if there was a chance between Trump and any Democrat, I'm voting for a Democrat damn near right. If it was even if I if I could vote for a Republican over Trump, I would do that. Like anybody except Trump, you know what I mean? At this point, uh, is where I'm at. Um, But yeah, none of the candidates were like moved me. And I think that if Biden doesn't pick a vice presidential candidate that moves people, he's going to lose this election. Because I did some work from, with Move On. I did some work with the national organization Move On. And we text a lot of Democrats. So all they were texting is like registered Democrats, trying to move Democrats to action. right? And you will be surprised how many responses we would get from registered Democrats saying that they support Trump. Uh, right okay. so like people think that like everybody just hates Trump Trump is terrible you know and everybody's just gonna vote him out right there are a lot of people in this country that support Trump that think he's doing an outstanding job and if we don't select we don't run the right type of campaign and select the right type of candidate as Democrats then we're going to lose Um, and I think that there's a lot of good options for uh, Joe Biden I think Stacey Abrams of the uh, black woman who ran for governor of Georgia, she's got this kind of pizzazz, star power, knowledge, calmness, energy. I think she would do well. Um, I would love to see Michelle Obama, but that's wishful thinking. Um, she's clearly made it like they—they're done with politics. I get it, but um, I don't know. I just—I hope he, he picks somebody uh, that can people can get behind. Him. Right now, he could pick Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York who's probably the most popular Democrat in the country right now, you know, so. Really? I don't
0: know. We'll see how it goes. Let me ask you this. Um, What would you say you lean more? Are you more of a moderate, or are you more to the left? What would you say you are as far as politically aligned?
1: Yeah, so, you know, socially I'm very much progressive-minded. Like, you know, I believe, I, I, I'm just a believer in justice, equality, equity, like to the nth degree. You know, like people should have the right to be happy, to live in peace, to, you know, have fair chances at having a good job, having a quality education, having access to health care. Like, so I'm very much on the progressive end of the spectrum um, when it comes to social issues and a lot of, lot of fiscal issues as well. Uh, but I also support the military, right? I'm a, I'm a former veteran, so I also have a big support for for the military and the soldiers who have the 0.5% of the country who rose their hand and said, I will serve. Uh, I think that I'm a, I'm a big supporter, you know, in them as well. I'm a big supporter in school choice. I think that parents who are low income should be able to choose a high quality school for their children. That's not a Democrat or progressive issue. That's more of a conservative type of. Stands. it should be a democratic issue right because the only way to break generational poverty is through education so there should be a democratic progressive push but the teachers union has infiltrated the Democratic Party so much that that's kind of like they've carved out that Democrats must be against school choice even though Obama supported school choice um, John King Hillary Clinton Bill Clinton you know etc yeah, yeah. um, so I don't know but for me so I try not to I'm trying to get put in a box like, I'm an issue person. You know what I mean? As, you know, if you ask me, Duncan, where do you stand on an issue, then I'm, we could talk about that easy all day. But I don't think that any one any one person that is a thinking person, I don't think it's all of progressive, Tea Party, conservative, liberal, Democrat. I mean, a real thinking person is just not fully on any one side uh, like that. That's just, to me, they just aren't. That's just... You have to really be in a sheep mentality to just full blown say I am full blown for this group or full blown I believe in every one of these ideas and it don't and and you can see it like that sadly is is the norm because what a lot of times is people will say you say where do you stand on this issue and before they even think about where they stand they got to know where their party stands where their group stands right and then okay the group is for it okay I'm for it or the group is against it okay I'm against it you know instead of like just looking at an issue and saying, I think this is the best solution or this aligns with my values. Um, so that's kind of where I am. I'm more of a, much more of an issue person.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. Hmm. All right. Have you heard, um, okay. There's a lot of people, right? In, um, the black community. Uh, some people call them the woke community. Um, and basically a lot of people are saying they're not going to vote unless we get reparations, right? Um, do you think, they, that's uh they should go against that like they should vote democrat or uh, wh- whoever going against trump right do you think they should vote or no
1: yeah so i i think that um everyone should vote i think everyone should vote i think voting should be uh, there should be extended access to voting there should be online voting there should be automatic voter registration across the country we should have everybody participating in this democratic process or else it's never going to truly work um so for people who say like if bernie's not on the ticket i'm not voting or if my issue isn't at the front i'm not voting you're helping trump right like so the people who do that they're helping the other side right because the republicans don't do that right they vote republican no matter who is on the ticket sarah palin uh trump it does not like whoever is the candidate they are going to vote for them and that's why you see in a lot of places they win and then when they win they don't just win they consolidate power they gerrymander the districts they carve out the voting blocks you know what i mean like they strong arm local municipalities like they carve out their power base and then they like double down on it right once they get it and so you know this idea that i'm not going to vote unless my individual need is met or unless now if you say i don't like biden i don't think he's as good of a he'd be as good a president as trump then that's your prerogative you know what i mean like if you feel like that you know you got the right to feel like that okay but if you saying trump needs to go right no matter what then no matter what you need to vote against him you need to vote for biden and um i mean now the issue of reparations yes i think we should get reparations for for a litany of reasons Uh, I think a lot of times the woke community is more divisive than inclusive. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the, I agree with a lot of things that the woke community kind of talks about, kind of issues, I I really like the, the issues that they're discussing, but how they discuss them, discuss them is often so much castigation and judgment that it turned people off so like i can't get with somebody who spends every day posting about how evil this person is or that person is or how you sold out because you bought nikes or how you know whatever like i can't align with that type of negativity you know what i'm saying even though your point may be right that supporting walmart or supporting nike is bad or where our the tv shows on netflix are supporting this misogynistic agenda like All of that may be true, but the delivery, the energy around it is such uh, aggressive, judgmental nature that it's hard for me to get with. You know what I mean? And I think that it really should be more inclusive. Like, educating people shouldn't be, you're stupid because you don't believe what I believe and you you need to watch this YouTube video, right? Educating people should be like, hey, let me show you something. Let me give you a different way to think about it. Plant the seed, you know what I mean? And then water it. Not like, get a sledgehammer and like, you're going to take my view. Or else you ain't this or you ain't that you know and I think it's too much of that uh, in that community because the issues there the stances are correct the actual how the points that they're making and the most of these issues are like right on and I agree with them you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah
1: okay um
0: that that all sounded great um let me move on to um then you do work with charter schools by the way yes Okay, now tell me what's the difference between a charter school and a public school? Right,
1: so charter schools are public schools. So, okay. here, so, so here's what happened. Um, I guess about 25 years ago now, maybe 30 years ago, the teachers union actually created this idea of a charter school, a school where teachers get more flexibility in how they teach, where schools are given more flexibility in, in, in how they deliver the curriculum to students. Uh, Charter schools, the idea was supposed to be a lab where you try stuff in this laboratory school, and then if it works, you replicate it in the district school, right? Mm -hmm. So then they started making these charter schools, and surprise, low-income kids started learning. They started working. So then different governors would say, hey, we need those in my state. We need those in my state. So different states started passing laws to allow for public charter schools. Now some states had really, really good laws, like Washington State and New York State, and some Mm -hmm. states had really crappy laws like New Jersey, um and some other states, right? And so because the laws had low accountability for the states that didn't do well with the didn't have like strong accountability, charter schools became like a money grab. Like if you had a nonprofit, instead of saying, I don't know nothing about teaching, uh I'm not gonna open a school, you could say, I got a nonprofit, we could open a charter school because like for uh charter schools to open it have to be done under a nonprofit. Um so you say, Well I'm I'm the 100 black men of this city, 100 black men of Memphis, for example, who have a great charter school, by the way, Um, 100 black men said, you know, we should open a school where we can highlight science, technology, engineering, and math. And then they did. They opened a charter school in Memphis, the 100 black men of Memphis. And then Delta, sorority, Delta Sigma Theta sorority in Detroit opened a charter school where they teach girls social justice and scholarship. Right? So that was the idea Like we could build schools that meet the needs of our community. Sadly, some people saw it as like, well, every student, they, put, they send $12,000, $15,000 for each student to be educated. If, I, if, if our nonprofit opens a school, we could buy a building. We could do this. And now all of a sudden, you, you see it as, as an opportunity to grow your organization, not the focus necessarily being educated. So in some places, they did it wrong, and they hurt kids and hurt families. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, um,
1: so the, but the thing about charter schools that makes them unique is after uh, five years, they have to go up to be renewed. So if a charter school is doing great, they get a five-year renewal. Okay, keep going, do it for five more years. If a charter school is doing okay, maybe they get a three-year renewal. They're doing struggling, they might get a one-year, or they might get closed down. Well, that's accountability, because we got district schools that have been failing children for decades, and everybody just, like, lets them continue to fail, because the teachers ain't sending their kids to those schools. The, the politicians, the folks with money, they're not sending their kids to those schools, right? So. It's not this priority, you know what I'm saying, to to fix them and make the radical changes necessary to improve the quality of school. It's just kind of like, oh, the parents don't care. Oh, those kids don't care. And so charter schools really is an opportunity for us to say, here is a high quality education opportunity for low income families. Right. Because if you got money, you all about school choice. Right. If you got money, you moving out the city, you moving to the suburbs where the schools is better, You going private school. You know, you might homeschool, you're going to have a tutor for your kid, or you might do a combination of all those things, right? But if you don't got money, you don't have access to be able to do those, you have to send your kids to where your zip code dictates that they go. And if you're fortunate and live in a great zip code, then that's awesome. If you live in a place where the zip code says your kid goes to a school where only 5% of the kids can read on grade level, right, then that's where your kid goes to be educated every day, right? I believe that that's criminal right, that we're going to say to families, you're forced to send your kid to a school that we know is failing, that we know your kid is going to end up dropping out or in prison, right, we know that, and we're going to send your kid there, and you don't got no choice, I think that's criminal, so yes, I support the idea that we should have other public schools that parents can choose to go to that are high quality, um, whether a parent has money or not, because our charter schools are public schools, so they're free, tuition-free, you know, school, so that's just my belief, you know, if somebody thinks, Charter schools are bad, and they want to, every kid should have to go to a district school. I always ask somebody who says that, where do you send your kids? What school do you send your, and let me tell you, 10 times out of 10, they they're not sending their kid to a failing school. Parents who's gotta, who send their kids to failing schools want choices. The people who say we don't, that choices are bad, charter schools are bad, they sending their kid to magnet schools. You know, those super high quality schools you got to take a test to get in. They send yeah, them to yeah. active schools, suburban schools, private schools, Catholic schools. They're not sending their kid to failing schools. I have yet, and I'm talking about, I don't work in multiple states, like four or five states, yet to meet a parent whose child is in an underperforming school, say charter schools or school choice is bad. Only people who benefit from the current status of their kids getting to go to better schools and low-income families being stuck into worse schools, only people who benefit from that system say that having these parents having a choice is a bad thing.
0: Mm, okay um has that always been in place these uh like what is it called school zones or zoning where you zone has that always been
1: so so there's like unintended so what happened is what they did after desegregation um you know after inter- after integration what they did is they made it where instead of like all the kids on across the city going to these three best schools because you know we're white and it's 1970 and we want our kids in the best school so all of them go into this school they made it where children are automatically zoned for the school in their neighborhood so the so this school over here in North I don't know Kansas might be a great school so now the kids who live in that zip code they are defaulted to going to that school so now you got black kids white kids You know, it's a mixed population because it's just everybody who lives in the area goes to those schools instead of we just come in droves and you got to go get in where you fit in somewhere else, right? So this idea was set up that, like, we would have people go to schools near, close to their, you know, their homes and stuff, which makes sense in a way, right? But what they didn't count on was how much white people didn't want their kids to be in schools with black people at that time right so now this school that was a great school now they do the zip code thing and now all of the students are like from the community so now it's all these black kids in the school they didn't realize that the white parents would say oh no and now we're just gonna leave the city so now they just leave the city so now their kid goes to suburban school abc you see what i'm saying or they will just pay for private school and so now this school that might have used to been really high performing it's got all the area kids uh whose zip code is there and then all of the affluent kids, you know, folks who have of means, they leave. Now this school is not a priority anymore to the district. So now they get lack of resources. They get the first year, second year teachers who don't really know how to manage a classroom. They got teachers from the suburbs coming into the city to teach who don't know nothing about the community, right? Who, and their kids go to different schools. So it created all of these other problems. Um, so it's been like that for some decades now. And it's, it's terrible. And so with the, one of the things that the districts the districts did, they said, okay, so we got to go to schools that's in your zip code, right? But our affluent people don't want to send their kids there, but we need to keep those people in the city. So they created these magnet schools, where now there's specialty schools you have to take a test and be accepted to get into, but they're still public schools. So you still, like, t- public taxpayer money is going to fund these schools, but now they're the absolute best schools with the best teachers and the most resources, but you have to take a test. So it's like, it's almost like a well, you have to take a literacy test to vote back in the day. Like you couldn't vote unless you could pass a literacy test. Now it's like you can't get into the best schools unless you pass this literacy test, right? And so the families of means made sure their kids are prepared and they're, and they're in these schools and the families without are in the zip code kind of schools, the schools that they're zoned for. And what's surprise, surprise, most of these super high-performing magnet schools are predominantly white because it's just they instead of so instead of now you having to pay as a family instead of having you you have to pay for private school tuition or move out of the city nope you got a nice public school that's high quality for your kids and it's not that many black kids there so don't worry right so that's kind of the magnet school structure and again it's leaving a lot of minority children behind
0: Okay. Mm. Um. Let me ask you this, man. Um, When it comes to college, how do you feel about it being free? Like, how do you um, feel about that? Yeah.
1: um, I think we live in a time now where everybody's got to go to college of some sort. Right? So even if you're going to be a welder, you still have to go, like, learn how to weld over the course of a year or two. Right? You want to go to the military. So after you get done with basic training, you go to AIT, which is your job training right, in the Army, So you have to, which is essentially like college. You go to class all day to learn how to do your job. So it's like whatever field that you're going to go in after high school, there's going to be more education necessary for you to be able to perform at a high level. So I think that it makes sense for you to just continue the system, you know, from K through 12 to just make it K through 16, essentially, right? And I think that a, there's a way that you can do that where there are still other colleges that you could choose to go to right, where, you know, you could choose the Harvards, the Yale, Columbia, Ohio State, Alabama State, Tuskegee. I mean, you can still choose a different school, but there's, like, a public system that will educate you to that level as well, that you don't have to bear this massive financial burden, because colleges are run like businesses. They're not really run like education institutions. They're really run like businesses, and it's, like, to be fair, in a lot of ways, it's a failed business model right? Like if you take four years of college, your first two years, you don't actually learn anything that's going to benefit you and your job. Like companies don't want to hire college graduates with no experience because you don't know anything, right? They want people who have experience doing the work, whether that's, you know, mechatronics or whether that's becoming an English teacher. Like companies want people who know how to do the work. So like a better model than just like, you know, everybody go to college and free college. I think College should be free, advanced education should be free, but there should be like subject level mastery. Like they used to have trades in school where you could finish high school and have a certificate in machining or something like that, or uh, CNA, you could go be a CNA nurse or whatever. Like you could finish high school with some sort of certificate. So you're actually ready to do work. College should be the same, or maybe there's two more years of education and now you have an advanced certificate or advanced training in something. So you can go get a real job and be ready to do it as opposed to like now you graduate from college it's like i don't know the exact number but i know there's a huge percentage of college students who get a degree and can't find a job in their field you know yeah, what i mean I heard about that, yeah. they have all this massive debt and they're not using their degree they're not there you know what i mean and so the whole thing is really a business thing more so than anything else like it's a like college is a business it's like and it's a booming business because they can charge so much and now with virtual college the 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 amount of money colleges can make is even more Because you gotta think, if if your college admissions was 5,000 and you had to, now you gotta pay a teacher for every how many classrooms, you gotta pay the building overhead. If you'd say, okay, we are gonna have an online version, now you can add another 5,000 and you don't have to add more teachers or more buildings or, you know. And so it's just, it's a huge upside and we're gonna see more and more of that because right now a lot of universities are being forced because of the pandemic to do online learning. And just like companies are saying, why do I have an office building? and I'm paying overhead and rent and all of this stuff for office building, when all my staff is working virtually during COVID, I can just let them continue to work virtually and save all of that money. Just like companies are doing that now, colleges are, we're gonna see them doing more of that as well. So yes, to long answer to your question. Yes, college should be free, but I think there should be also more of a focus on mastery of skills and not just read, like general education. Like what do I need to know, take two years of foreign language, like, of French, in college, I got a degree in public relations. Like, what, first of all, two years is not enough to really learn enough to do anything with it. And second, it has nothing to do, like, why do I need to learn chemistry as a public relations practice? General science, yeah, I get that, right? You gotta understand the world and the scientific method. But, like, why do I need to learn every different type of cell in every element on the periodic table? Like, what value does that have, right? And I understand it's really about the capacity to learn. So I understand at a certain level you got to expand our we got to expand our capacity to learn, but at another level it's like now I'm paying a lot of money for information that I really don't need just as part of the model. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my own personal soapbox
0: rant on that. Okay, okay. Um, so there's a lot of people, right, that um that are in debt from school, school debt um with loans um, ranging from sixty on up to six figures and. Do you believe that it should be forgive forgiven? Yeah. These,
1: uh, yeah, I think that'd be great to see um like that that would be such a statement to really free a lot of people. Right. So instead of starting because you if you go to college and you don't get a, a, a career track, you don't get a job that goes directly into work, right? Like so if you're if you're a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, something like that, then you go right from college into either your advanced degree or into you know working, right? But if you're a liberal arts, or if you've got a business degree or something, and there's not this smooth transition, not only do you, are you struggling not to find a, a, your career path, but you have this loan debt that is like, you know, piling up on you. So it would free a lot of young people, you know, young and middle-aged folks, to like really forgive that. Um, like that would be a powerful statement to really free a lot of people. And if we're gonna change the model, I think that that should be part of the conversation. Of changing the model as
0: well. Okay. Um, I know you're into motivational speaking, right? Um, how does one get into motivation, mo- motivational speaking, if they wanted to?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, there's always opportunities to to do it. This is one of those things where I learned. I um, I just was doing it. You know, I was I was already doing it for free. I just hadn't even knew what I was doing, you know. And um, I would say to get practice speaking as much as you can when there's a youth, when when they say, hey, we've got some young people here, we need a speaker, you say, okay, hey, I'd love to speak to those young people, right? You just keep getting practice, keep getting practice. Every chance you get, there's a program, there's a workshop, you ask a question, you give your two cents. You, you know, you say what you have to say. You contribute to different, and after a while, you get really comfortable at it. Um, and then people will look to you to do it. So a lot of the times people will call me and they'll say, hey, Duncan, would you be interested in talking to this group of young people? Hey, would you be interested in speaking at this graduation? Hey, you know what I mean? And this was before I kind of really, really got into it. So, And as you do it more and more, you get more comfortable. Then once you feel comfortable enough to say, oh, I'm good at this, then you start charging people, right? Because you're preparing to do it. Like people think, a lot of times people think that motivational speakers, is like, just show up. So I should just do it for free because I'm good at it right and it's helping the community so they're like Duncan can you speak at this I had this one lady she she's very upset that I told her that I don't do it for free anymore and um, she was like well this is for the kids da. we don't have a big budget and I said how long do you want me to speak and she said we want you to speak for about 30 45 minutes and I said okay so let, let me ex- I had to explain to her like when I get ready to speak for 30 not even talking about my resume and all the years of practice and all the training and all that not even just For this event, you want me to speak 30 to 45 minutes. That means I've got to memorize 30 to 45 minutes of talking points, text, uh, inflation, voice inflections, of quotes, of uh, anecdotal stories, of energy stories to connect to the audience. i got to memorize that. That, that, But but to memorize, i got to write it. So I've got to spend a couple hours to write it. Then I've got to practice it, make sure it's good, edit it then I've got to rewrite it, then I've got to spend another three hours or four hours memorizing it so that when I show up here, I sound polished, I sound like I know what I'm talking about, I have, you know, practiced it so I'm comfortable enough to give energy. And then while I'm here, I've got to sit through your whole event so I can do my 30 to 40 minute speech. And you want me to do that for free, right? And then I said, would you do your job that you go to work for an eight-hour day of work? Would you go do an eight-hour day of your job for free, right? Your boss says, hey, this is for the community. We want you to do eight straight hours of work for free. Would you? And she said, no. I said, okay, then." Well, here's your answer. That's that. That's why, right? So once you get good, you because you put so much into it, because like the better you get, the more you want to be better. So the more practice, the more training, the more workshops, uh, the more preparation, like You know I'm working I got a speech I'm giving on um, Friday to some teachers and I was talking to my wife about it today okay this is what I want to talk about this is what I got to talk about I got to come up with a way to connect these two points and to make it impactful and so already starting the process and then today I'll write out some notes tomorrow I'll try to make those notes sound exciting then, you know what I mean, Thursday, I'll make sure I memorize it and then memorize it again, record myself saying it and then listen to it back. Like, you know what I'm saying? So there's like a process it takes. So you got to be bold enough to say, hey, I'm bringing value and you got to pay for that value, right? Because if I was some person out of Chicago that you flew in to do it, you'd be like, oh, we're paying them $10,000 and you happy to do it. But because you feel like you know me through social media or because we live in the same city, you feel like I should somehow not be valued at that same level. And uh, that's wrong. And that's I don't. I'm not mad at people for, for not understanding that. I just explained it to them. Um, but to someone who's looking to get started, I said just speak everywhere you can. Get as much practice as possible because the best way to learn how to connect to people is to connect to people. And the more time you'll say you you may write something and think, oh yeah, this is when I tell this story, they're gonna really feel it. And you're wrong. They don't. But then something else you said really resonates, and they're like, and you see that, their hands going, yeah, I feel that. And so then you know, okay, next time, scratch out this story. This is something to focus on, because people connect to this better. So you just get more and more practice, and you'll just get better as you go. Um, and the reason that public speaking is even a job is because public speaking in front of a room full of people is the number one fear on every continent on this planet. So death is number two. It's the number two fear. The number one fear is standing in front of a room, a room full of people and it's, it's public speaking. Okay, a lot of people don't know that. That is the number one fear on the planet, is public speaking. So if you can defeat that fear in yourself and stand up and do it, there's value to that. That, like, that makes you different. So people will want you to do that more because they don't want to do it. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Well, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. I know you got a book out too, right? Um, yes, What is the name of this book? It's called
1: Rerouting, Resilience, Tools, and Tactics. Um, It's a a really, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: I just asked you, what is it about? about?
1: It's about, you know, rerouting your life, you know, about overcoming setbacks. It's about resilience. One of my jobs in the military was to be a master resilience trainer. So I trained soldiers to be more resilient and mentally tough so they wouldn't suffer from veteran suicide and depression. And so once I got out of the military, I did a lot of personal development uh, around like Eckhart Tolle and P.D. Ospensky's work and Robert Greene, Stephen Covey. And I kept having this feeling like, why don't more people know this? Why aren't more people reading this? Right. And so I said I decided to take the military resilience training and the personal development, metaphysical, psychological training, uh, personal development and blended that into a training that the average everyday person could digest Used and applied to their life to become more resilient, more purpose-driven, more present, and overcome their ego and really connect to who they really are. And so that's that was the genesis of why I wrote the book. And so far, it's been incredibly well received. Like people are like messaging me like, "Oh my God, I never thought of it like this. I didn't understand that. Oh my gosh, I got Duncan. This changed my life. Thank you for breaking it down. You know, and I and that that like warms my heart to to see that like what I was trying to put into the world like it connected to people." in a way that is moving them and helping them on their journey. Uh, so I'm really happy about it. Awesome. Um, where can they get it if they anybody want it? They can go to my website, uh duncankirkwood.com or they can get it on Amazon if they just search Resilience Rerouting. Um, they, it'll come up right up on Amazon. They get the ebook or they can get the paperback. But if you want the paperback, get it from my website so I can sign it for you because uh, so I can sign a copy for you and uh, send it out. And yeah, please get the book and send me feedback. You know, I want to learn, I'm learning and growing as well in this process. So I would love to to hear what you think about it or anybody, any of your viewers or listeners hear what they think about it. Because um, I think it's pretty powerful. And now is a time where people need mental toughness, mental agility, resilience. They need that now more than ever because this pandemic is really rocking a lot of people off their, out of their comfort zone. And, you know, the health, Health wise, and the people that it's a tragedy for the people who are getting sick, who are dying, losing loved ones, like this is a tragedy. But personal growth wise, you know, this is an opportunity. Some people are gonna come out of this pandemic and they're gonna be worse off, they're gonna be more depressed, they're gonna be more less resilient, they're gonna be like worse financially, worse personally, worse family wise than they went in. But some people are gonna come out better, better financially, better self. You know self wise self development wise better family wise because this is a pause like when is the last time anytime they've ever said here's three months where everything in the world is on pause you can learn a new language you can build your resilience build a relationship with your family build your business like there's so many many opportunities in this space but you've got to like change how you're thinking about every day change change your thinking uh, and learn how to be more present uh, and, and let go. Like it's forced us to let go of the stuff we attach to. If you notice on all these Zoom calls, everybody's got all these Zoom calls, all these virtual calls, all these everybody doing TikToks. You notice all of this the side of like I have to look perfect and have this image of a suit and a makeup, hair, all everything is perfect. That has faded. You notice now people are much more like comfortable in their own skin, and like the ego is starting to fade a lot, and you're just able to just kind of be normal. Be just, not normal in the sense of sheeple, but normal in the sense of not so narcissistic and focusing on your appearance and, you know, making sure your presentation is so perfect. Like, you can just be yourself. And I think that in that, like, we can learn a lot of lessons if you choose to. Or you could choose to just complain and, like, be angry, right? Uh, So, you know, the book really helps you understand how you think about stuff. It, It dictates how things
0: happen in your reality. Okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna definitely go check it out. Um, <laughs> um, do you have any links you want to give out for people to follow you?
1: Yeah, okay. so they can follow me on social media. Uh, it's just at Duncan Kirkwood on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it's just at Duncan Kirkwood. Just my name: D-U-N-C-A-N Kirkwood, K-I-R-K-W-O-D. Um, I'm I'm the only Black Duncan Kirkwood that'll come up. There's a couple other Duncan Kirkwoods that may come up, but I'm the only Black one. So you know, you'll see me as soon as you click it. Uh, And yeah, I really appreciate people following me, uh, following this journey, and I hope I can say something. And my hope is that in these interviews and in the book and every time I speak, that at least one thing I say, uh, one thing I say will resonate, will touch you, will spark something in you to do better, push harder, go further, dig deeper. Um, And so that's my hope always. And I'm hoping that I was able to do that today on this interview. And I thank you so much for taking the time to, to interview me and help me get this message and this information out.
0: Uh, no doubt. Um, I guess I'll talk to you next time, man. Uh, thank you for joining the outlet.
1: <laughs> no problem, man. Peace and love. All
0: uh, right, appreciate it.